You're listening to the Desperation Podcast, a generation in desperate pursuit of God. www.desperationonline.com. All right, let's talk. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah 59. We're going to talk about a few big ideas, a few things that I think many of us, including myself, these are all things that I've been learning, that I've been going through, and I'm only a few months away from where you guys are right now. So, this is going to be hopefully immensely applicable. Um, but talk about a few things that God has put on my heart and, and that I have been learning, that have been burning in me um, as we're living in Nepal. And, uh, and I, think, I think sometimes we all just get a little bit off in what we're doing and just need to have a little bit of a reality shift, a reality check. And um, it's a good thing to do. So we're going to have a little bit of a reality check tonight. These are things that God's been showing me as we've been living in Nepal. And, uh, and it's powerful. So anyway, Isaiah 59. We frequently get into Isaiah, and we read the glory chapters. If you flip back to Isaiah 58, we've got, we've got fasting and loosing chains of injustice, and this is, this is why we fast. This is the glory. Oh, it's the meat. That's why we're fasting. Oh, that people be free and have hope and, and share our food with the poor and all this stuff. Yeah, that's good. And we flip over, and we skip 59 because that's kind of gory and not too flowery and happy. But 60 is really good again, right? Arise, shine for your light. is coming the glory of the Lord rises upon you. We flip over to 61, we say, oh, I've been anointed to preach the good news, to do all of that. And we get to 62, and for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. Oh, but what's missing? That's Isaiah 59. And in Isaiah 59, for us, it's a little weird, because you read through it, and it talks about, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken falsehood, um, your tongue mutters wickedness, no one sues righteously, no one pleads honestly, they trust in confusion and they speak lies, they conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity, uh, yada, 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 their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Those are things that we don't really do. I mean, like, we kind of do them. Like, our hands really don't have blood on them of anyone. We don't really, like, run to evil. We don't really sue people. So, so you read all of this stuff, and you see this heart of God that's saying, oh, I want to redeem you. Oh, I want to be a part of your lives. I want to lay hold of who you are. I want to pour myself into the nations. Arise, shine, for your glory is coming. I'm coming, and I'm rising upon you, and I'm showing my glory and my power and my splendor. And that's this heart of God, which we focus on, which is good. It's exciting. That's the stuff that's easy to pray. Um, but then we get to 59, and it's kind of this weird thing. And for in us, in our lives, um, it's difficult to see that. It, well, blood on our hands, running into evil. How do I do that? How do I run into evil? Well, I mean, I guess I kind of avoided paying taxes, and I didn't really want to read my Bible yesterday morning, and I kind of was mean to somebody at work. And I, I, did, I, was, I, I really said a few things that were kind of, kind of aggressive towards that person. That's kind of like shedding blood, I guess. And then we focus on the glory stuff, and it's good. Well, that's the reality of America, is we're not really engaged with some of the stuff. We're not really engaged with some of these elements that God was speaking into. And I was sitting there one morning, after living in Nepal for probably four or five months, 
And I started reading through this, and I started seeing God's heart and started seeing some of these elements that are happening in here. Every morning, Emily and I wake up to people ringing bells to wake up their gods and to, to, to do these pujas, to offer food, to offer sacrifices to these gods that they serve. Um, every single piece of meat that we eat has been offered to the gods. Every single thing. They, you drive by goats all the time. They're shaved in this special way. They're waiting for them to bow and, and are dedicated to the gods and then are slaughtered for, for food. Um, more than that, there's people who... Uh, the, I mean, the legal system's corrupt. There, you, can read this, you can read this word for word for word, and it follows the lives of people living in developing countries like Nepal, all around the world, serving foreign gods, false gods, and living along these lines. Your hands are defiled with blood. Your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood. People in Nepal, if you ask for directions, just to say, hey, do you know where this such and such is? People will always, always give you directions regardless of whether they know it's there or not. Like, falsehood, it's on that shallow level, but on every single level of society, people are lying and lying and lying, and everybody admits it, and they all know that they're doing it, and it's just a perverse, corrupt thing. It says down here, this is what really caught my attention. Their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Now, in Nepal, there's times where they just call a banda, and they say, hey, we want to shut the whole city down. People don't really know why it is. Sometimes it's for people's rights. Sometimes it's because of a, a Maoist incident or whatever. And so people will um, literally, if you get caught in one, you need to get out of the bus and run because they'll stop the buses. They'll start throwing rocks. They drag the driver out if they catch him driving, beat him to death. Uh, they break the windows out of the buses. They slash the tires. They burn the vehicles and just shut the city down for a couple days at a time. Um, and, and they were shut down for, for periods of a month, month and a half at a time at some points. Um, I have pictures of kids rolling, burning tires into these intersections to stop people. And I mean, you can go out and see top car after car after car, tires slashed, windows broken out, whole thing burned to the ground. Um, because people just run to shed this innocent blood. They run into this violence and this, just this crazed mindset. There was a guy who lived um, not too far from us. And I was on the phone with my buddy. I, I was on the phone with this guy. And... Um, he said, you know, there's something going on in the street. There's something, I don't, I don't, hang on just a second. And so we, he went out and addressed it and came back and said, Caleb, there's, um, there's this guy, and he, I don't know what he was doing. He seemed like he was drunk, seemed like he was being stupid, just trying to get in a fight or whatever. The next day, my buddy just wasn't quite right, and we were hanging out with Rom, and he just was real quiet and wasn't, wasn't quite his normal stuff. I was like, what's going on, Rom? He's like, well, like, you know that guy that I talked about yesterday? I said, yeah, I remember that guy. He says, well, um, I think he was drunk when I was talking to you or maybe just lost his mind or something, but just a little bit later after I got off the phone with you, he walked up to this guy on a motorcycle and he was just kind of accosting him, telling him he should be wearing a helmet, telling him he was stupid for riding around without one. And, uh, and he slapped the guy and the guy fell off the motorcycle and, um, and the motorcycle fell over. Well, a bunch of kids saw that and decided that, that this guy was completely in the wrong, that, that he was crazy, that he was mean, that he'd slapped this guy and he fell over. Really, I mean, he just was being feisty. The guy fell over, no big deal. So this group of kids all of a sudden grabs their buddies and they chase after this guy and they start, they start punching on him and wailing on him and he trips and falls into this ditch three blocks away from my buddy's house and they take a lead pipe and beat him in the head until he was a mess and uh, stumbles out of the ditch, goes to a hospital and dies 30 minutes later. And so, so that's the kind of reality that's going on in the developing world and where so many people are so longing for God and so desperate. And that happens every day. And so where I live and the people that we work amongst, 
This, this verse, you don't have to pretend like, well, maybe I avoided my taxes. Maybe I tried to do something that was kind of a little off there. Maybe I got angry at my friend. People shed innocent blood. Their hands are defiled. Their lips are defiled. Their whole lives are these perverse, disgusting things. And see, the beauty of it is, we, uh, sometimes we get, a, get into the glory chapters here, and we just get excited to pray through Isaiah 58, Isaiah 60, Isaiah 61. When the reality is that those cries of God saying, this is why I want you to fast. This is why I want you to, to lay hold of these things. This is why I want you to be broken and humble people. This is, this is the cry of my heart, that I would arise and shine over these people and show my glory and my love and my hope and my salvation. This is why I do it. Because in Isaiah 59, there's people who are living with this reality. And they're rushing into evil. And they're killing people with lead pipes. And they don't even know why they're doing it. And they're consumed with and these lusts and these passions, and it's a horrific, horrific thing. The picture is horrible in Isaiah 59 of that existence, and that's the existence I live with, word for word for word. That's the existence people all over the world, all over the 1040 are living with. And so what we need to engage with is Isaiah 58, Isaiah 60, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 62, and know that that's the reality of our God, responding to Isaiah 59. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight is sort of figuring out how to, to shift a few things that we've been thinking about and think rightly about ideas like Isaiah 59 and God's heart towards it in these three other chapters. Um, spiritual authority. That's kind of a meaty, funky, weird term that I think gets misconstrued a lot. And I have no place to speak about spiritual authority. There's books written on it and good luck. Um, but one thing I do have to say on spiritual authority um, we had a long talk about this uh, a while ago in Kathmandu, and, um, and somebody at the end of that talk basically said, well, all of the lingo aside, all of our lack of, of words to apply to that, really, how you get spiritual authority is just praying for people. You, just, you pray for people, and that's spiritual, some sort of mystic spiritual authority. Well, I don't know anything about spiritual authority. I think it's probably an inappropriate set of terms. But regardless, if the idea of spiritual authority is that you pray for people and somehow in there have some sort of right to speak in their lives— um, I want to talk about that for a minute. When I, um, I had two things that were interesting that happened to me after he said, you pray for people, you lay hold of that, you fast, you long for them, and that's how you get this spiritual authority, some sort of right and ability to maybe speak into a situation, a life, a country, or whatever. And um, the two situations were this. One, we started praying, we're, we pray every morning at our house for a couple hours, and, um, and in the midst of that, I, all this stuff had happened with Ted, and all of that was going on, and um, and so we're just praying over generic stuff. And I thought, you know, well, I know that Ted um, was connected with the president of Colorado College. I went to CC, loved the place. My brother's going there. And I know that they had a good relationship. I've seen the history of Colorado College. And I was like, you know, guys, we should just super generic prayer. I mean, really generic, just like this is a good thing to pray for sort of deal. And I was like, let's just pray that, you know, Dick Celeste isn't, isn't embittered about Pastor Ted or anything like that, that the gospel can still go forth, that those positive changes can be made. And we started praying for Colorado College. I mean, it, like, just super lame. I went there and thought the grass was nice and the campus was cute. And, like, we're just praying about the, pa the pastor and the president. No big deal, right? Not, nothing big, meaty, emotional, whatever. It was just a, yeah, let's pray for this. It's a good thing to pray for. And we started praying for it. And I just about lost it. I'm sitting there in our group, and I'm like, why am I about ready to fall over on the floor and just start weeping and weeping and weeping for this college? I'm just moved. There was this thing burning inside of me. I was like, that's weird. I mean, we're just praying about... Yeah, it's nothing big. That's weird. And so that kind of caught my attention. And the second thing that caught my attention 
was when, when Dave asked me to pray for you guys. Um, not pray for you guys, but speak here tonight. And I started thinking about the furnace. And, I mean, I love you guys. I've been part of this from the get-go, but really fairly de- detached for a long time. I live over there. I'm doing missions work. You all live over here, dress well, come do a cool thing. That's neat. Like, whatever. I'm, I'm going to do my thing. going to do what God has over there, and the furnace is great, and I'm so excited about it. Whatever. Um, that, I mean, that was just sort of the surface level. Yeah, whatever. Uh, the furnace is great. Good luck. Sort of thing, right? Well, I start praying for you guys. Same thing. I mean, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this, this thing came upon me where it was like, I was ready to be on my face for hours before God just screaming and crying out and interceding for you guys. I was like, that's weird. In same week, two things, completely sort of just shallow out there details that, that moved me in a significant, significant way. Um, what I realized was that when I was in college and right when we were starting the furnace, I was moved to pray and fast a lot. And so, so I spent hours and hours and hours and hours. We prayed. We would get up at dawn every morning and pray for a couple hours. And we would get up, um, we would go to the chapel at night and pray for a couple hours. And in that process, I started fasting a lot. And I fasted every other day for months on end. And in that process, the place that I was praying for, the things that I was praying for were two things. One, Colorado College. Two, the furnace. And I was longing. I was saying, God, oh, give us a generation. God, give us these people. Give us hearts. Give us... Give us some sort of voice in the lives of people so they can come on fire, so they can know your love, so they can know your light, so they can know your hope, so they can know your glory. God, do it in the school. God, open, your, open the heavens and come down. Rend the heavens and just show people who you are. Show people your life, your love, your hope in this college and in, and in the furnace. And God, I ask, for, I ask that things like desperation would be, allow us to speak into a generation, that you would use that generation, that you mobilize them for the nations. God, oh, give this to us. And it was day after day after day after day. And this was before I figured out that you could just fast 24 hours at a time after 24 hours at a time after 24 hours at a time. So I was fasting 21 days a month, which was brutal because I just thought I was fasting every other day. Um, but, but I looked back at that and I was like, wow, that's it. That's spiritual authority, if you want to call it that. Like, that's the very heart of God burning inside of me for you guys, for this situation. And it's just a tiny little piece. And it's just in a tiny little corner of my nasty, gross, funky, very human heart. But that was just a little, a little tidbit of God saying, yeah, look at that. And that, that makes me want to fast and pray all the more. Because I know that even, I mean, you have to understand, I'm, I'm seven years away from hanging out here and doing the furnace thing. Like, and I was just hungry. I was bitter because I spent $1,600 on a meal plan and all I drank was milk and juice forever in the cafeteria. Like, I, mean, I saw nothing happen. There was nothing exciting. The furnace was still a bunch of goofy people having, yeah, we were just getting started. We were just a bunch of oddballs. And, um, and I come away from it and, and suddenly start to see, wow, look at these hearts that are stirred. Look at these people that are excited about the nations. Look at desperation. You can stand. I mean, there's 11,000 people that have taken the vow. Yeah. I mean, that, that's significant. That's amazing. I was like, Wow. There it is. Like, even though I don't understand it and I don't see it right now with what we're doing in Nepal, with where I'm at in life, oh, a life of fasting, a life of prayer, that's, that's what God wants. He wants to put his very heart, the very passions of his heart inside of us, even though we don't get it. It might take you seven years to figure out why that was there, but I'm starting to see that just a little bit, just a little bit. And it's, it's interesting to me because I can speak in front of the mill and I don't have that same thing in me. And it feels awkward and it feels weird and it just feels different than here. And there's this special thing burning in my heart that's the heart of God saying, oh, yeah, speak into this, speak into that. And that's, it's inside of me. And so, so I think that's one thing that we need to get straight in our heads 
is that fasting and prayer is, is so much bigger. I mean, it really is this manifest heart of God that gives you authority and, and the ability to speak into situations and just this burning piece of him that might not manifest itself right now or next year or the year after or the year after that. But that thing is worth pursuing year after year after year and fasting and praying and longing for it. So I really recommend that you would learn a life of fasting and prayer. You guys are fasting, you guys are praying now, but start fasting, start laying hold because God does good things in your heart. Number three, um, I don't know if many of you remember um, this, but back in the day when the mill was still meeting in Tag Chapel, um, there was uh, there was a time before we had lots of good music originating out of New Life Church that could sort of fit some of the niche things that we needed. And we would adapt here and there, some of the worship leaders would adapt secular songs to fit our charismatic needs. Um, what I mean to say by that is that, that there's, I mean, there's good songs that are passionate, that are, that are so excited, and then, and then if you sing them with maybe the right set of words, abbreviated or cut to however we need, it would fit with what we're doing. So... So everyone's standing in Tag Chapel. I remember this night. And um, I mean, it was just, oh, God, yes, we're worshiping. We're doing our thing. Oh, you're good. You're wonderful. Holy, holy, holy. Doing our thing. Everybody's really engaged, really excited about worship. Everybody was so passionate and so lost in worship that when this wonderful guy who was leading worship at the time um, was also lost in worship, and he went into one of these secular songs, he started singing. He's like, God, I can't live and normally you would say, without you. But he got a little confused that night and went into, with or without you. And, and I'm standing there and there's, there's this whole group of people. I mean, this whole tag chapel is chock full. With or without. I mean, like falling over, having this wonderful time. And I'm just thinking, looking at a couple of buddies going, oh my word, what's happening here? It was a mess. It was a complete mess. So... We need to talk about that idea. <sighs> My wife always tells me to drink water, and now that I'm completely dehydrated and drinking water all the time, I finally, yeah, hearing it. Um, frequently, we do that. We get so excited. We get so passionate. We get so just into the moment, into the screaming and the hollering and the worship that, that we sing, I can't live with or without you. We just completely lose it. And, and there's this real God who answers real prayers. He's very interested in what we're saying. And he's not, he's not excited about the moment. He's not excited about the cool lights and the cool guitar and the cool songs and the big screaming, getting lost in the emotion and the circus and the culture of things. He's interested in your heart. He's interested in your heart being engaged and really knowing and really laying hold and really being real. So when you come up here and you pray, you're not just praying a verse that's meaty in Isaiah 61 and easy to pray and scream. You're praying because it, it lives inside of you, because you know it, because you sense that heart of God and saying, oh, that's what I want. That's what I need. Oh, yeah, that's it. And at that point, you'll hopefully have your ears open enough that you'll at least get the I can't live without you part and, and edit out the other details. Um, Frequently, we pray prayers that, that really are just screaming and excited prayers for the sake of praying prayers. And we really need to pray prayers that mean something because God answers prayers. I mean, he answers prayers a lot. There's, there's just within the past few months, lady's baby dies in her stomach. I mean, that's, that's a lot for a doctor to say, excuse me, ma'am, your, your baby, you're seven months pregnant, dead. Like, I'm sure that he went back and checked 
double check, maybe triple check to make sure that that little guy was not moving and said, well, I'm sorry, but, but that baby's died. Sure enough, she went, she prayed about it and went back to the doctor and the baby's kicking, alive, happy, ready to go. Um, we prayed over, a bunch of you prayed over, um, well, I don't know about this group, but a couple groups here prayed over um, Fancham's baby. She's a gal that we work with. Um, it was uh, about 12 weeks premature in her belly and in two weeks, the baby grew eight weeks. And, and is ready to come out happy and healthy and whole. So it's exciting. I mean, prayer does things. Prayer puts the heart of God inside of you for places. Prayer changes things. It's very, very significant. The entire world is literally crumbling around us in Nepal. We hear all the time of people, I mean, Ram Street, understand this, our, the guy that got killed with the lead pipe, um, since, he's just the glory story. There's been, since we've been there for five months, there's been four other people beat within an inch of their life on Ram Street, same place. Rom Street is well-paved, well-lit, difficult to hide in, very well-trafficked, very popular street, safe street. Our street, middle of nowhere, not paved, dark alleys, uh, tons of fields to hide in, lights nowhere, uh, just a dark, dark, nasty, crusty little street. Not a single thing's happened to us. Um, there's, there's just story after story where people are like, yeah, you're going to get robbed. You're going you're gonna to get mugged. You're gonna, this is going to happen to you. This is whatever. And we're just floating along. And that's due in large part to the people um, like some of yourselves who have engaged and really been praying for us and really laying hold and saying, God, oh, do something. Like, keep them safe. Let your word go forth. Let things happen. Not only keeps us safe, but, but it does things in the hearts of people. So, so I would encourage you guys to really think about what you're praying. And don't just pray because it feels good. Don't just pray because it's an exciting verse. Like, this thing means something. There's this real God behind this book. The Bible um, is greatly wronged in this. And this is a quote by George MacDonald, um, put in a book by C.S. Lewis. Um, but, it, but George MacDonald said, the Bible is greatly wronged in this. It nowhere in and of itself claims to be the way, the truth, or the life. But it leads us, in fact, to the way, the truth, and the life in everything. And so there's much potency in this book. And it's not the words and it's not the excitement. It's the reality of the God that lives outside of space, outside of time, and outside of cute little pages printed that, that talk to us about him. Um, so pray engaged. Um, what time do we need to quit tonight? All right. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm just, just another tidbit when you guys pray. The thi- when, we, um, when we pray about idols and things like that, there's frequently, the, it's God just, just help them see that it's just gold, that it's just wood, that it's just this iron steel thing that they're worshiping. It has no power, it has no whatever. In my opinion, idols have a whole lot of power because the idols represent a God that the people worship. The God is represented by a demonic principality that keeps the people in bondage and terrified that the God is absolutely real. So they think it's Ganesh, this god that they worship that has all these attributes. What Ganesh probably really is, is a demonic principality that, that freaks the people out. That when they don't do the puja every morning, there's things that happen or in a choreograph that are absolutely horrific in their lives. And you can read through all of Tibetan Buddhism, which is where more of my experience comes from. And there's, I mean, like the Dalai Lama. When they choose the Dalai Lama, there is, uh, he dies. They go to, the holy men go to the specific lake. They have a vision in the lake, very specific vision of where this place is. They search around the country for years on end. They find the place, which is exactly, exactly, exactly the place that they saw in the lake. They go in, they find the boy, who is exactly the boy that they saw in the vision at the lake. The boy then has like 
I don't know, five of each article or whatever placed in front of him. One of each of those multiple articles um, is the Dalai Lamas, the true Dalai Lamas. The kid at one, two, three years old will pick up the correct one every single time. The kid has a mark on his body, every single kid that's become the Dalai Lama. Now, I don't know how all of that works. And I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is there's a, there's a heaven and there's a hell. And our battle is not against flesh and blood. And there's something going on out there that really screws with people's heads and keeps them in bondage to all these things. Because I wake up every morning to an entire country ringing their bells to wake up their gods that they're so enslaved to. And so, so I would encourage you guys, when you focus on the whole idea of like, God, just, uh, just show them that their idols are vain. You guys are going to Tibet and praying over all this stuff. Like those idols, are, yeah, they're vain, but, but they're represented by a spiritual reality that keeps those people in an immense, immense, immense amount of bondage. Just like we get excited that God really does heal people and God really does change situations. They're terrified that those guys are going to eat them up, that they're going to change things. And they have all of these things time after time after time after time, making them believe that that God is real. Passion. How many of you in the furnace are passionate? All right. Well, that in a large part is what we're here for. Unfortunately, I think sometimes our passion um, sort of overrides some life principles that we need to get. And in that, we completely lose sight of our purpose. Here's the rough thing. There's people who are very, very, very passionate. You say, oh, yeah, like, oh, I just, I spend so much time with God, and he's wonderful, and he's good, and he's, oh, he's amazing. Like, I have to see more, and I have to go to the furnace, and I'm just, I'm lost in worship, and I spend hours every day worshiping, and it's wonderful, and it's so, oh, yes, it's so good. And we get excited about those people. They're, they've got, their hearts are on fire. They seem alive. They seem like they're ready to go. Unfortunately, there are frequent times when people who get lost in their passion get so lost in this passionate pursuit that they can't do life at all, that they have no principle, that they have no character, that they have no values, that they have no real ideas of what's going on. I've, I've discipled a lot of people. I've been in a lot of situations and overheard a lot of situations where you have these wonderful zealots who, oh, I'm a worshiper and this is what I do and oh, God's in my heart and he's burning, he's changing. I have a heart for the nations. Let me tell you about it. I'm going to go to the nations and this is what God's doing for the nations and da-da-da-da-da and it's inspiring and it's exciting and it's, it's wonderful to be around them. But you say, okay, cool. So you're, you're going to the nations. Tell me about it. Tell me what you're going to do. Tell me how that's going to happen. Well, we'll have a little debt to pay off. Okay, so you got a little, well, that, you know, we can work through that. Well, well uh, you know, what's, what's going on there? Well, I got fired. Okay, why'd you get fired? Well, um, well, I got fired three times, actually. Oh, okay. Well, why'd you get fired three times? Well, I just, man, God's just moving. His heart is, he's burning in me. And I'm just, I'm spending time at the prayer center. I'm just, I'm up till, God just, he wakes me up in the middle of the night and I'm just, I'm praying and I'm interceding. And man, I just, if the alarm goes off at 6.30 and it was just, it was so difficult because God just moved me. He was doing so much stuff in all these seasons of life. And I just, it was so, I just couldn't get into work on time because I was just exhausted. I just couldn't perform. I just got fired. Really? So what'd you do when you got, well, I had, but I had credit cards, see, so I was okay because I, so I could pay my, pay my rent and stuff. Okay. So you've got, you've got $18,000 in credit card debt, and you're real passionate, but you can't hold the job down. 
What are you doing now? Oh, I'm just praying and worshiping. Where are you looking for a job? Well, you know, I'm just waiting for God to lead me to a job. And see, that person, they're passionate. They're excited. They've got this heart about missions. They've got all these great ideas stirring in them, but they can't get it together. That person's worthless. Worthless on the mission field. Like to me, who needs people to come and work and save souls who are dying and bleeding and going to hell, that person, completely worthless. Like it's such a shame. Because I'm like, yeah, you're great. I love your passion. I love your heart. All I want is for you to live your life well enough so you can say, all right, I'm ready to go. Cool. I've got my stuff sold. I got my debt taken care of. And here I am. Let's do it. See? And people get really excited about this whole passion thing and they can't hold their lives together. They can't balance their checkbook. They can't do whatever. The flip side of that is this idea of principle and purpose and character and, and honor and all of that. And you have people who get too far into the principal idea of, yeah, I'm always going to be to work on time. I'm always going to balance my checkbook. I run QuickBooks and TurboTax, and I take care of my money great, and I'm always on time, and I'm all, all of these things that are very honorable, who lose the passion, see? And, and they show up on the mission field, and they say, man, God is good. He takes care of your finances, and he'll help you find a job. And man, he's the best thing you're ever going to do. Praise the Lord. And now, I mean, really, uh, yeah, that works in some places, definitely. But uh, honestly, like it's something that burns inside of you. That's more than just a set of actions or just a quick number of words in succession. It's, it's this thing burning inside of you and very alive and very passionate. And that they see that, that you wake up early in the morning and you're crying out to God. And you're, oh, this thing's moved inside of you. And they see that and they say, wow, I want to be a part of that. I want to, that's reality. Oh, I want that. See, so the secret is that you mix your passion with your principle. And what happens in that is you have purpose. Because people with all this purpose that are very passionate, I'm going to go to the nations, I'm going to whatever, and all they have is passion, can't get up for work and they have tons of debt. Which means really their purpose for going to the nations is completely defunct between what they're doing now and the huge, huge, huge bridge that they have to cross of debt and getting a job and showing up for work on time and working for the next eight years to get all their debt paid off before they're finally ready to have a purpose down here, which they're talking about. Um, same thing with a per- person of, that, that is only driven by waking up on time and is just this dull, bored heart that's not alive in God. Same problem, where they might be ready to go speaking to the nations, but when the nation sees somebody who says, well, yeah, God's good. He's wonderful. I read that in the Bible. You can too. Um, you see, they're, they're, they're not going to get that purpose either. So, so what I would encourage all of you guys to do is really understand the blend of passion and principle. Because only when you have those two things figured out can you have purpose that really fits, that, 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 you can go in, that you can step into the nations because your debts are taken care of, because your life is done well, you've finished college, you've been faithful at work, you've learned the hard things of life. And at the same time, when you step into the nations, oh, the fire of God is burning in your soul. And when you speak in the lives of people, they say, oh, there's something there. There's something that's alive. There's something that's, mm, that's good. And let me tell you, it's not fun because the devil doesn't want you to be there. And my, I mean, like my low was, I had a thermometer that was a little bit off. So I thought I would, must have been doing better than I was doing. But I, I had been sick quite a bit. And most of the people on our team were getting sick to the point where, like, not just I don't feel well, but like, oh my gosh, like fall over and laid out in bed kind of sick. So I'm not enjoying that dynamic. And then I woke up one day and thought, hmm, feel a little funny. Something's not quite right. Maybe I need to rest. Two days later or so, I, I 
was, my heart rate was at about 120 beats per minute, just laying there in bed, just racing and racing. I'd stand up and black out, pass out. Um, and I, so I was feeling rough. Well, I'm laying there in bed feeling pretty rough myself, knowing that my team is struggling. And my wife is sitting on all fours, vomiting into this bucket on the bed. And just vomiting and vomiting. I'm about to pass out. I can't do anything. I can't so much as sit up without passing out to help her. My son is crying in the other room. His, his lungs just stripped with all the pollution and all of the bacteria and all of the funk. Crying, and I can just hear it in his voice, and he's screaming in the other room. And Emily can't do anything because she's vomiting in a bucket. And I can't do anything because I'm laying in a bed, and I can't even sit up without passing out. And, and that wasn't fun. It just wasn't fun. Like, at all, really. And in that moment you get to ask quite a few little questions of yourself. Of if you want to hang in there, if you want to see, see yourself on, or if you want to see yourself onto a plane. And, um, and those are the tough questions to ask. And it's those times when your character has been developed, showing up for work on time, and laying hold in the prayer meeting. And you have a fire for God in your heart, and you know that you're going to lay hold. This is what you said you were going to do. This is what you're called to do. And oh, doesn't matter, come hell or high water, you're going to hold on to that with the tenacity of a pit bull, like just jaw locked, and you're going to stay the course. You're going to run the race. Because it's not all just popsicles and lollipops and candy canes. I mean, it's, it's not fun. Like the devil doesn't want you to be there. But you hold on through those rough times, and that's what God blesses. It's a good thing. All right, fourth point. Missions isn't really about you. <laughs> that might be a wake-up call to some of us. <laughs> and it might only be a wake-up call on sort of this very subtle heart level where we subconsciously sort of maybe are thinking some things that we won't admit. But I think very often this whole missions push, this whole, oh, we want to go to the nations, we want to do this, becomes very much more about us and very much less about God. And what he's doing. And what I mean about that is um, there's definitely, there's definitely, definitely, definitely this God who said, oh, I love you so much that I'm sending my son. Oh, that you can have a relationship with me, that you can know me, that you can be my friend, that you can, you can go into the holy of holies and just gaze upon my beauty. It's a beautiful thing. Like that's, that's the heart of God. But that's a very sort of individual type of thing. That has you right at the center of like, oh, he loves me. He wants to be, that's everything you learn in the furnace. That's everything that David's preaching and speaking into your lives. Dead on. That's the heart of God. Absolutely. Where I think we skew the heart of God is we take this, oh, I'm, I'm the center of all of God's, I'm his very favorite. And that's a mystery of heaven. It's a beautiful thing that we're all his favorite. But we suddenly say, oh, I'm the, I'm the very favorite in what we understand in the, in the prayer closet. And we try to transpose that over here when we're in the, okay, what do you want me to do with my life sort of closet? And I say, oh, it's just, it's God, what's my calling? What's, it's, what am I going to do that's so wonderful for you? It's going to be great. Oh, just, you just tell me, and it's going to be so good. I'm just waiting for you to tell me, and then it's going to be really good because I'm going to know what I need to do for you, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your great white hope. Um, and that's really not the way it works. I, I've read this thing through a number of times, and I still haven't found anywhere in here where it real specifically says, says anything more than just 
go. Go into the nations. Oh, make disciples. Get out there. Show them my love. Show them 58, 60, 61, 62. Oh, because that's my heart. Oh, I want to show them my glory, my love, and my hope. And oh, yeah, that's it. And it's, it's not about, you're not, you're not the center of that at all. That's just a command to say, all right, get to work. Like, oh, I love you so much that, yes, I want to be here. You're the center. And now get to work. Like, all right, it's time to, let's do something about this type of a thing. See? And um, it's funny. Now, now, one of the ways that I think of it is um, it says that we're supposed to be co-laborers with Christ. Now, now my brother, Jonathan, has worked with me quite a bit. I used to own a construction company and, uh, and build homes and do a number of things here in Colorado. And, um, and in that process, he would work alongside of me and, and learn about electrical. Not that I'm a great electrician, but I can get along in residential construction. And so he learned a lot about electrical. And he's a talented electrician. He can, I can just tell him to do whatever, and he'll drill the right holes and put the boxes in the right spot and pull all the wire right and do all the stuff. I mean, he's good. He has some tools and whatever. Um, but... But picture, picture me on our job site. I've got the blueprints laid out. We've got the floor system on. And we've got a whole pile of two-by-fours, and we're ready to put up some walls. Like, that's what we're doing is lifting walls. We're getting, we're getting the frame, the structure in place. Now, Jonathan's a great guy. He's talented. He's talented as an electrician. Now, if Jonathan shows up on time to work and says, got my electrical tools ready to go, and I'm like, well, that's great, Jonathan. You are, you're talented. You're, you're a good guy, you're sharp, you're, thanks for being on time, thanks for bringing your tools. But really, see, I'm, I'm, I'm lifting walls, I'm framing the house, I'm going through, I'm, I'm putting two by fours together, cutting them to length, laying out walls. That's what we need to do. So just go ahead and, you know, just, just dump your, dump your, pl- well, no, no, but Caleb, no, really, I'm an electrician. I, yeah, uh, this is my thing. I mean, I got my, got my pliers, I got my screwdrivers, I got my wire strippers, I got my drill. Like, I'm ready to do electrical. Yeah, yeah, I know, Jonathan, but, but, like, what I need help with is this. Like, in some, yeah, that's going to be important here in another four weeks, but not right now. Like, that, now that's not the time. Come on, just, like, I've got a hammer. I've got, it doesn't matter. Well, but I don't have any of my framing tools. But I've got plenty of framing tools. Like, I've, I've got an extra hammer. I've got a speed square. Here, just take this pencil, and let's cut some boards and get this going. Like, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. This is what we're doing right now. And eventually, yeah, we might get along to the electrical thing, and I'll really appreciate your help then. But right now, just take the crap out of your belts, put, put a, grab a hammer, and let's, let's get to work. How ridiculous would it be for Jonathan to sit there and say, well, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm an electrician. I'm ready to, I'm ready to do electrical. And I, you're working, you're sweating, you're, but, but these are my electrical tools. I'm, I'm just, I'm waiting for the electrical type of thing. And we so often do that very same thing where our call is the great commission and God may have put some specific things on our heart, which is great. Um, follow those, lay hold of them, but don't lose sight of the fact that it's not about you at all. And, and, and that's where we miss it. See, um, frequently when we, um, well, let's see. There's two camps. One camp does the following. They have, they have this call of God, and they're the electrician. They're sitting there saying, oh, I'm ready to do electrical, but sorry, can't help over there. And they miss opportunity after opportunity where God's saying, oh, just come into the nation. The harvest is ready. Just, I need workers. Come on. Let's go. Yeah, you're talented in a lot of ways. Let's just, let's go to the nations. Let's work. Here's, here's a hammer. Here's a speed square. Let's get on it type of a thing. And, and there's all these people that are like, well, I'm the electrician. I'm doing this thing. This, there's this other group of people that sits around 
and saying, oh, God, like, where do you want me? Who am I supposed to be? What's, what's the deal? What's the whatever? Well, when I flip to the back of multiple Gospels, there's a general theme that says, go into all the nations, make disciples. Go into all the earth, make disciples. Share my love, share my hope, share my joy, pour into them. And that's the heart of God in that. That's the default. So many people are saying, what do I do with my life? It's in the book. It's not confusing at all. Jesus came to earth, showed his love, his life, his hope, says, I'll make you fishers of men. And, and there we sit saying, am I supposed to be maybe in real estate? Am I supposed to be a lawyer? Maybe I'm supposed to be a Starbucks manager. I don't know. Maybe I'll open my own coffee shop. Maybe that's, I just, God, what is it? And we just sit around completely losing it. In my opinion, like, this is the boss's orders. Rough, general, big idea as far as what we're supposed to do life with. And it's pretty clear to me that the boss's orders say, go, go into the nations, go make disciples. And so for those of us who are sitting around saying, what do I do with my life? I'm just not sure. There you go. I have a plan for your life. It is in this book, and you are welcome to join me in Nepal. It is not confusing. It is not difficult. It is laid out very well, and I doubt the translation is very far off from the Greek or the Hebrew. Um, So it needs little adjusting or explaining. If God says, yeah, you have a talent for business, you have a talent for this, for that, for the other— I suspect that still is his big idea. So what he's saying is apply that talent. You pour your entire life into investments and mutual funds and do things. Like the Ford Foundation, people who lived life well, invested money well, and poured it into foundations and ideas that can be pouring back into the others. Ford Foundation right now, years and years and years after it was established, still I think annually gives away... It's like between 98 and 114 million. And that's just the interest. And the fund is still growing. Now if God calls you to that, run with it. But frequently, we sit around, we completely miss the thing, we don't hear a specific word of the Lord, and we just hang out and work here. And then, even if we do sort of convolute something into, okay, yeah, I really am supposed to stay here, what you have is not the Ford Foundation or the Rockefeller Foundation or this, oh, I have a commitment to charity and to hope and to pouring into people's lives, and this is the missions. Oh, this is still the default, even though I get to be a banker, even though I get to do whatever in the States. Like, we so frequently default into this, this, well, you know, I've, I bought a lot of stuff and I have a house that's way too big. And I mean, we saved, you know, enough for a nice retirement and, and completely lose sight of it. And so in my opinion, this is the default wherever you go. If you say, oh, I'm going into missions over here, then missions it is. If you say, oh, I'm going to stay in the States and this is what I'm going to do, it's still missions. Like all of it's missions. It doesn't matter if you're standing over here. All of it, everything you do is missions. That's the heart of God. And it's not because missions is the ultimate goal of the church. Worship it. That's why we're here. That's what we're worshiping. That's the God that we worship. At the end of the age, John Piper says this. You may, is that required reading anymore? Uh, well, anyway. Um, it's, it, he just says the same thing over and over and over again in 400 pages. But what he says in the first chapter is really good. And what he says, it's probably just the first paragraph. And what he says is that missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship it. Like at the end of the age, when everything's gone, there's no more missions. There's no more anything. There's only worship. There's people falling down at the face of God saying, oh, you're good, you're holy, you're wonderful, you're beautiful. And so, so I, would, I would encourage all of you, if you're standing over here saying, what do I do, where do I go, what's happening? 
Missions is your default. Oh, yeah, go share my love, share my hope. Share Isaiah 58, Isaiah 60, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 62, because the reality of this hurting, dying world, the reality of the harvest is Isaiah 59, that blood is on their hands, that they're running into iniquity, that they're hurting, that they're dying, that they're longing. Oh, I want you to go share that love. Like, because I want to arise, I want to shine, I want to show my glory so that the nations can come, that they can bring their wealth. That's it. And if you're standing over here saying, man, I, I'm called to missions, this is what I'm doing, this is what I, whatever, don't be the electrician. Like, be willing to dump your pouches. Because, you know, I was called, I was called to Tibet with Ben Couch, my closest and dearest friend. And, um, and the thing is, I spent all of my time focusing on Tibet. And I don't know that that was exact, that wasn't the call of God on our lives. Things get shifted and he redeems situations. But um, I put all of my focus, every paper I got to write in college, I wrote on Tibet. Every, um, my whole degree focused on that part of the world. I spent hours and hours and hours writing a thesis on Tibet. Right, trying to figure out what was going on, trying to figure out what was happening in their hearts, trying to figure out the best way to reach those people. I studied Chinese, um, so I have a working knowledge of, of Mandarin. And have a whole lot invested in Tibet, the T-A-R, the place where you're going. Now, Ben died, and there's an opportunity open in Nepal. And God was like, just come. I'm building a wall. Yeah, you're a great electrician, but come on. Let's just do this. Let's just work together. Let's make this happen. And it would have been the worst mistake of my life to have hung on to my little bit of Chinese and to hung on to all of these papers and say, yeah, this is important. This, is, this, this supersedes the hand of God in missions. I'm going I'm to keep my electrical tools in my belt, and I'm not willing to take these out and say it's worthless. A few weeks ago, as I was getting ready to come see you guys, we get um, Relevant Magazine from time to time in Nepal. And I was, I was reading and flipped open to a page, which is Desperation Conference this year. And the, the whole title is Anthem, Anthem of, the, Anthem of the Redeemed. I was like, that's good, that's cool. And what it reminded me of was, was three days beforehand when I started importing some video that I'd taken um, in May or June of last year. And what that video was, um, was my closest and dearest friend. And he gave his life to the people of Nepal. That's what he did, and that's who he was. And he was called to Tibet, but he went there and he was sacrificing and living his life amongst them and pouring into their hearts and pouring into their lives. And Ben was in a motorcycle accident and was killed by a truck. And so, as I thought about desperation and what you're doing with desperation, I was reminded of, of Ben and what happened there. And the reason I was reminded is because Joe and I sat there and I mean, that's not fun. Like, this is, like, this guy's like Jonathan or David. Like, this deep, oh, thing that's there. God was doing it in our lives together. And we prayed for him, and God didn't raise him from the dead. And so the video I imported was us sitting there. And I was, I was sitting videotaping here, and Joe was sitting just like this. And Ben's body was on a funeral pyre, and it was burning. And there was smoke coming up from it. And the song Joe was playing was Anthem of the Redeemed. And I remember that moment and thinking, man, this is the anthem of the redeemed. 
and I look at it now, and I just, I see God, I see the hand of God, like, moving so many people's hearts, and creating so many opportunities, and so many lives, and so many places, and he's just saying, come, just come, the harvest is ready. This is the anthem of the redeemed. Not that Ben is dead, but that Ben's life is redeemed, that the hand of God reaches into desperate situations and that he's opening the floodgates of heaven on Nepal. And for me to sit there and hold on to my stupid thesis and think that that somehow has worth, that that somehow is who I am or what I'm going to do or what I'm called to, would have been the worst mistake of my life. And I see the hand of God in the nations and he's saying, just come, just come. I want to redeem broken situations. This is the anthem. This is my anthem, that people would be redeemed, that they would see the hope and the life and the love and the joy and the salvation that I brought in this book. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.